Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So we're going to start this morning continuing our discussion on the Lord's Prayer. How many of you guys were here last week? Got to, we kicked it off. Um, I hope, what my hopes are is that as we continue talking about the Lord's Prayer, that this will stir something inside you to want to be in God's presence more, to want to approach Him in a more genuine and authentic way. And that's really what we spent our time last week talking about. And so today, as we look at the Lord's Prayer, I want to show you again just a few ways that we don't want to approach God in prayer. Enjoy this. When it comes time to pray, we've discovered that many Christians panic over the very thought of being called on. We often take drastic measures to ensure we're not the ones being asked to lead in prayer. That's why we've created a two-disc DVD set, Prayer Master. Now you can throw your prayer concerns as far away as east from west. With Prayer Master, we cover it all. Um, Is your prayer full of ums? And um, Prayer Master solution Simply substitute um with Father. Just been beautiful weather, Father, and, and Father, we Father, we lift up these prayer requests to you, Father. We know now that uh, that's supplication. Life, Not only will Prayer Master make you sound holier, it'll make you look holier. Simply by mastering some praying stances. Learn from our black belt in Prayer Master, Master Reverend Thurgood. Once you've mastered the pros and the pose. You'll also learn how to become a better prayer listener. Prayer Master will teach you how to place those affirming grunts at the appropriate times. Not since the WWJD bracelet has any product made it so easy to make a holy first impression. With Prayer Master, we'll have you prepared to look good praying in any situation. In this desolate hour, you know the sorrow that has befallen us. Lord, you giveth and you taketh away. We find solace in knowing that death has already been conquered by our Lord Almighty. Amen and amen. So what if you weren't born with the spiritual gift of prayer? Now it can be yours for just three easy payments of $29.99. Buy Prayer Master right now. Not only will you receive the DVD set, but we'll also throw in a cassette tape featuring prayers narrated by Charlton Heston's second cousin. Now, next time someone asks, Who wants to pray? You can say, I do. Wow. Wow. Rick will have those at the door as you exit if you're wanting to grab a set today. <laughs> we'll be selling those. We've already uh, marked them for Emmanuel. It'll have all our logo on it, but nope, just kidding. So we're, we talked about last week a little bit about the, the heart attitude, the the really the, the motives behind our coming to God. Are we trying to do it as show before others? Um, or are we genuinely wanting to connect with Him? And sometimes even our motives can be wrong in that genuine um, desire to, to receive and meet with God. And so we're going to build on that today, but I would love for us um, to, to read the Scripture together. I'm going to start reading uh, just the beginning passage, the first few verses, but when I get to the Lord's Prayer, let's say it together if you don't mind. I think this would be great today. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Would you join me with this? Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus continues to teach on, and he says this. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, I just ask as we dive back into your word this morning, as we look at your teaching on prayer to us, um, Jesus, would you open up our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you speak specifically to each one of us? Um, I know there are a number of things that we're all walking through, Lord. There's burdens that came in this room. Um, There are just heavy things of life and circumstances. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will meet us as only you can, speaking to us and encouraging us, sharpening us, challenging us, and transforming us to look more like you, Jesus. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love this passage, and as we begin to talk about our motives, you know, I look at what what Matthew is saying when we come before the Lord. He says, when you come before God, don't turn that into some theatrical production. This is the message translation. He says, because all these people, they're making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. He says, don't think that God is sitting in some sort of box seat. What a cool way of putting it. He says, here's what I want you to do. Find that quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And then your focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. Isn't that a great way of saying that? I love how the message puts it because I sense that when we begin to perform for an audience other than God, there is a reward that is given in prayer. Those who ask, they will receive. Those who seek, they will find. Those who knock, the door will be opened. There is a a reciprocity to our seeking God. He will meet us. But when our seeking is is really just involving others seeing us, there is a reward there too, and we got it. Others will see you. That is your end. That is, that's all you're going to get out of it. And, and the Lord is, is waiting for us to come to him. I really see him really almost like a, a gentleman sitting in the chair in the living room, waiting for us to, to get out of bed, wanting to meet with us each morning, waiting for us to come and sit beside him and, and just hear what he has to say to us and our hearts to be open to him. But if we never approach him and want to, as we were talking about in our, in our small groups on Wednesday, what if it was a rule? What if it was something that was required in my relationship with Candy? What if every day she had to spend 15 minutes with me? Before she starts her day, she's got to spend that 15 minutes. I mean, what, what value would I even feel out of that? Because I know she's, she feels obligated. She's doing it because she has to. She's got to check this box. But no, our God in heaven, our Father wants to meet with us because he desires to be with us. And he's waiting and if we will come to him not putting on a show that others may see or, or babbling our many words because we think we'll be heard, 
but just coming because our heart desires to be with the one who created us. And in prayer, here's what I believe. I believe that as Jesus says, he says, I believe that motives will determine the outcome. And what I mean by that is that there is reward that is associated with seeking God. But our motives will determine what we find in our rewards and what our outcome will be. Our motives will determine that. Look at what Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 6. He says, And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Check out what it says again in the message. I really like how the message puts this. It says, It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that He exists and that He cares enough to respond to those who seek Him. That He cares enough. That we have a God that when we approach Him, that He cares enough. And this is what Jesus, the reason I'm going down this track is because Matthew really talks about how there are rewards to our prayer, but but Luke puts it in a different language. And as we look at what Luke says, he says in, in verse 1, this is the answer to what the disciples have asked of Jesus. He says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, would you teach us to pray as John taught his disciples? So the whole, the whole portion of the Lord's prayer, so to speak, the Lord's teaching on prayer, is in response in Luke to what his disciples have asked of him. Would you teach us? Would you teach us to pray just like we see other leaders teaching their, their disciples, their apprentices, how to pray? Would you teach us? Because they see Jesus doing it. And modeling is one thing, but modeling and teaching is what they're asking for. And so he says this, going to verse 9. He's taught on the Lord's Prayer, and it's an abbreviated version in, in Luke's gospel. But at the end, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. I think this is so beautiful. And he continues to build on that with verse 10. He says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is building an analogy here of a faithful friend depicted by a caring father, right? Which of you would come to, would come to uh, a child would come to you and ask for something that they need, but then as a caring parent, you would deceive them. And that's where he goes with this passage. He said, how many of you would, would have a, a son or a daughter come to you and, and ask for a loaf of bread, but you give them what? You give them a snake. Yeah, you give them something else. You give them, and, and we don't have a God in heaven that is like that. He says, if you on earth and your sinful nature wouldn't do that, if you wouldn't trick your kids in meeting their needs, then why would you assume that our God in heaven would be that way? Why would you assume that when we come and we ask for something of him, that we, he knows that we have this need? And that's what he's saying. He's saying, even before you ask, your father in heaven already knows. And sometimes our asking isn't always answered the way that we assume it's going to be because our Father also knows best. And I'm not just referring to the show, Fathers Knows Best, but, but truly our God in heaven, He knows the timing and the season of when we need different things in our lives. And, and, and this isn't a name it and claim it verse. I know it's probably been abused in so many ways, but this is a verse of understanding our God and Father in heaven and His nature and who He is and that He will meet us according to his riches in glory. He will meet us in his lavish love. He will meet us. 
as we come to him and we recognize who he is, there is a God that we're approaching who rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. I hope that as a culture that we can begin to shift that because sometimes in, in honestly, you go to different Christian groups in, in America and it seems like the, the passion is, is kind of waning and, and I don't desire that of us. I don't desire that of myself. I don't desire that we be a people that come and just go through routines, but we truly desire to see God in Him, in His true nature, exemplify who He is to the world. And He wants to do that through us, and He wants to do that in our world in a, in a major way right now. I believe that God's got such great plans still in, in just what is going on in our nation right now. Such great plans, but He's going to take a people who will seek His face who will believe that what he says is true, that those who repent and turn from their wicked ways, that our God will truly heal our land. If we will humble ourselves, there is a reward. There is an outcome. There is a if then to seeking God. He will meet us. He will show himself for who he is. And this is where I want to build today is that, so we see that in verse nine, he begins to teach on how to pray. And this is where I want us to focus today is on verse 9 and 10. And I believe that as we approach God today, we will be as the woman at the well. And Jesus begins to tell him in John 4 that those who worship God must still worship him in spirit and in truth. We must know what the truth is and who we're approaching, but we must also come in transparency and honesty and and in the spirit of God be drawn to him. And so in verse 9, he says this, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's where I want us to land for a minute. He doesn't say this then is what you should pray. He's not giving us a formula, so to speak, but instead he says this is how you should pray. He's giving us a model. He's giving us a paradigm, a way of thinking, of approaching God. He says, and I love how he starts with that word, our. I love how... Jesus, immediately, the first word is automatically a plural word. Because when we approach him, we don't do it just as individuals, but we do it in recognition of his whole body as a whole. We come to him recognizing we are a part of many members, and we come to him because we recognize that he's the head and that we are his body here on earth. That he is our father. And the example of prayer that Christ gives us wasn't meant to be prayed in isolation, but in fellowship with others. And so there's this sense of community, even to our communion with the God that we have. He is our Father. And so we begin our prayer journey recognizing that we're not coming to Him alone, but we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let's look at what Paul says to the Corinthians here. And I'm going somewhere understanding that that even Jesus is giving us this idea that we are in a community, not in isolation. And Paul says this, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And I, I, re- I recognize that this can be said of us as individuals, that God has come to dwell in each one of us as followers of Christ, that his spirit has come, that is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance of the return of Christ and to be able to reign and rule with him in his kingdom forever. I get that, that that is an individual thing that we can also claim. But this verse right here is a collective statement again. Paul, when he is saying this, he's not saying you as an individual, but he's saying, do you not know that y'all 
If he were in East Tennessee, he would say, y'all, y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all. It is you guys collectively. Look at what God's spirit is doing here in the group, in the in what he is doing in your community when you are connected together. This is why we believe in encountering God, but then connecting to each other because it's scriptural. Because anytime we come to God, you will see that we see him for who he is. And then he, as we heard when we were in uh, Birmingham, he, God always puts us into groups. He always groups us together. That's why immediately Jesus' first phrases are, our father, our father. He's grouping us together as a family, as a unit that would walk in this life together, exemplifying the fullness of God as a family that has been adopted by our great king. And I think it's beautiful. And I know that it stands true that Christ dwells in our hearts, as Ephesians 3.17 says. But Paul is drawing our attention to this word here, which I love, is that, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't put it in there. It was a different Greek word. We'll get there. Is that you guys, youans, y'all are God's house. And so it is literally that when God finds us, he adopts us into his family. And we're not only coming home, but we are literally becoming home, the home where he dwells. You guys cap- capture that? We are not only coming home when he adopts us, but we are becoming home. You guys are where he dwells. You are creating the dwelling place for Christ to be. And I think that's what's so beautiful this morning, even as we're worshiping this morning, I could just sense the, the Lord's presence in this place. I don't know about you, but I could sense the Lord coming in, in a real place. And you can experience that individually, yes. But Paul is saying, when you come together, there is something so unique when we are connected, recognizing Christ as a community, as a family, that you guys are the dwelling place of Christ. You are his temple and Christ's spirit dwells among you. It's a beautiful picture. And so as we continue to look at the, the Lord's Prayer, we echo this unity as a family. It's our Father. This is the first recognition that we make, that we are one, one family, and He is God, our Father. Now, I, I don't know if you recognize, but this is not a common way of referring to God in the Old Testament Scriptures. The, those of the Jewish faith, this would have been a very new idea. Those that Jesus is talking to, His disciples, that crowd, they're like, are what? They knew him as a sovereign, a holy, a just, a transcendent God, but they did not know him as an intimate father. That was not a way that they commonly referred to him at all. So this is groundbreaking for them. Now, I would say that the pendulum in our world has swung to the other side. I would say that in our theology today, we understand God as our friend. We can pray to him. Hey, what, you know, actually Levi last night, he's been practicing praying. I don't know. He get, we tuck him in every night. And so he said, hey, Jesus. I don't know why. We don't say, hey, Jesus. So I'm not sure where he got that. But he's like, hey, Jesus. And then he says a bunch of things I don't understand. And then amen. I get that. And, and we know God as someone that we can say, hey, Jesus, to. We, we know him as full of love and grace. We know him as someone who is our father, who is involved in our lives, which are all true. But sometimes we have done that at the expense of knowing him as holy and just and righteous and one who does not tolerate, cannot be in the presence of certain things, a sin, because they are, they are the antithesis of his very nature. And so there's, it's not a either or, right? It's a both and. It's understanding this is God. This is who he is. But for these words to come up when Jesus is saying them, it was not something that would have automatically been top of mind for them. Oh, yeah, God, our Father, absolutely. It was like, our who? 
And so I'm sure this was causing, this was a point of contention for the folks that are hearing this initially. And so Jesus' habit of addressing God as his own father and teaching his disciples to do the same would almost appear familiar, too familiar, and presumptuous to his opponents, but personal and gracious to his followers. And it's the same for us today. Unfortunately, we need to shift that pendulum back to understanding him as the sovereign of the universe because we've lost that heritage of his transcendence, of understanding the great and mighty God that we serve. He's a both and. He's not an either or. And so when Jesus, when he would ask of forgiveness of sins, he would use, he would use language like your father. And when he would speak of him as, as the only son and in his unique sonship and his authority, he would use the phrase of my father. But here he is teaching us. He's saying collectively, I want you to pray, our father. Recognize who he is together as your father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. And so automatically, Jesus is putting him, we've learned his We've learned that he is ours, right? We've learned his name. We know the name, that it is literally our father. We know his location now. He is in heaven. And so he is designating a few things here as we start to recognize our father. Where is he in heaven? And this is something that was heavily emphasized by Matthew. Matthew's gospel records it over 21 times. Mark only once, Luke not at all. Matthew wants us to capture that he is supreme, that he is sovereign, that he is the king that is bringing a kingdom. This is the God we serve. And hopefully that as we approach our father, the loving and gracious and kind God, we can also understand that he is supreme and all powerful. And he is bringing a kingdom that is not of this world. And so we see that, again, his name, our father, his location in heaven, in his identity hallowed be your name. His name is holy. And so the Greek word here is hagiazo, which that's the verb form that literally just means holy, meaning to feel reverence for or to honor as holy. And so I don't believe that Jesus, when he's teaching us this prayer, is literally saying, come to God and say, our Father who art in heaven, would you make your name holy? No, he's saying, recognize him for who he already is. Let your name be set apart as it already is by the way that those who approach you in their words and in their actions reverence you for who you are. Let your name be observed and be revered and be honored as holy that we would see you for who you are and that our lives would be a a direct reflection of that nature. We're not making God's name something that it's not already. You guys get that, right? It is already holy. But he's bringing us in. He's inviting us to see him for who he is. Would you come in and see our father? Would you see him, the one who is in heaven, the one who is separate from us all, the one who has created all the universe, but yet has incarnated his son so that we may be restored to relationship with him forever? What a beautiful picture here that Jesus is giving us. So literally, Jesus is teaching us to address our Father, recognizing Him for who He is. He is holy. This is His name. This is who He is, our Father in heaven. May we know You for who You really are. May we be the ones who will worship You in spirit and in truth. And we build on that, and He says, He says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
How many of you guys realize that the kingdom is probably a literally a cornerstone to what Jesus is establishing on earth when he comes? He is coming to bring uh, peace between us and God that we're far from him, meaning we didn't have a bridge to him, but now we do because of Jesus' death. He has done that once and for all, and he is establishing his reign and rule. What he desired from the beginning, from the beginning of creation, that there would be a, a utopia, so to speak, a kingdom where God, where God would reign and rule, he is trying to reinstate that. And so he begins this. This is the inauguration, so to speak. And Jesus begins that kingdom as he establishes it. He, re, he preaches what? Repent and believe, for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is here. And he demonstrated the kingdom. He demonstrated it by praying for the sick and they were healed. Uh, the blind would see, the dead would raise to life, and all the poor would hear the good news of the gospel and could be reconciled to God. That's the good news. That's the kingdom being fleshed out through our, our Lord and Savior. Jesus literally coming and showing us the kingdom. And so the king is setting up his kingdom. He's coming and he's breaking forth with his reign and rule. And so he's at, Jesus is asking us to come and to begin to come in an agree, agreement with him that literally his kingdom would come, his will would be done on earth as it already is in heaven. God, let what's happening there be the same as what's happening here. And how many of you know the world we live in is far from that? It is far from that. But Jesus is inviting us in on a journey that where our lives aren't lived simply in expectation of what is to come, but are bringing what is to come to our present now. Does that make sense? We are not passing through this life just saying, God, I'm waiting for the by, the sweet by and by. May we, may we go on to the other side and hopefully that will be a whole lot better than here. But he's saying, no, be a people that establish my kingdom, that agree with me in prayer. As you approach our father together, you recognize his name. And if you recognize his name, you know that he desires to reign and rule in the hearts of men across his created universe. That is the God that we serve. And he's inviting us in on this journey as ambassadors, as ambassadors of that reconciliation to take it by force to see his kingdom come. You know, and let me be real, real clear because I don't think we, for the most part, can really understand what a kingdom is. I think we have a hard time. We live in a democracy. And especially today, <laughs> our democracy is so polarized and whatever you believe is right as who you are. And so in our democracy, we don't understand that this king, he will reign and rule regardless of what, where we stand, regardless of what you like or dislike about his policies, so to speak. He will reign and rule. And I want to read a quote to you. I really enjoy this. Again, this is another R.C. Sproul quote. Um, and so he says this, he says, the kingdom of God is not of the people, by the people, or for the people. It is a kingdom ruled by a king, and God does not rule by the consent of his subjects, but by his sovereign authority. His reign extends over me, whether I vote for him or not. At the end of the day, he's king, I'm not. I don't get to vote about what I think about God's doing in the world today. I get to participate in seeing his rule and reign extended in the earth. He's inviting us in. Would you come and recognize the one who is holy, our father who art in heaven. Let your name be holy again. Let it be revered by the people in this house, by, by the one speaking, by the church at large in our country, by those that are calling on the name of the Lord. Let them revere you for who you are and seek your kingdom come. 
your reign and rule established on the earth. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us into a journey, into a walk to see his kingdom come. I don't know about you, but that sounds like something I want to be a part of. Because there's a lot of things that you can join a a movement now on. You can join a a justice issue. You can join a social cause. You can join so many different things. But at the end of the day, there's going to be one king. And it's not going to be about what we espouse is right or politically correct. And I don't care who you vote or don't vote for. There will be one that will reign and it won't be any of those. It will be Jesus and it will be the one sitting upon the throne who will ride in on that horse. And that's the one that we get to participate with now and see his kingdom established. This is the global good news, that he is coming again and that he will reign forevermore. Would you pray with me today? If you would bow your heads with me. I know this has been a little bit different than normal, but I also want to give opportunity that if there's someone that just needs special prayer this morning, that I, I want to be uh, cognizant of that. I want to agree with you this week. But if you'd say, Michael, I'm just, I'm walking through something, some trials of life. There are just some things I'm facing um, and I just need prayer this morning. Would you, uh, would you pray with me? Michael, would you join me? Would you just raise your hand? I just want to know who I need to be especially lifting up. Yeah, anybody else? Yes, okay. Amen, amen. Father, you know the things that each of the folks in this room are walking through. And and Lord, while we come to you, we don't want to just come to you and not recognize that you are our good Father and you do care for us. And there are folks that are needing to meet with you today. They've got something that is heavy on their heart and in their life. And Lord, I join with them today saying, God, you are a good God. And we thank you that you give us what we need. Even before we come and ask you right now, you already knew the things that were on our hearts. So, Lord, we just give those to you. We thank you that we can cast our cares upon you because you so deeply care for us. We thank you for that love that right now I'm just going to ask, Holy Spirit, would you come in this place? Would you let your presence just settle on your people? Let them be reminded of your nearness, of your dearness, that you are a good God, a Father who art in heaven. And Lord, we just ask that your name would be set apart in our lives right now. Distinguish yourselves in our hearts and in our circumstances. Distinguish yourselves that it may be said of us, look, they must be a part of the Holy One. They must be a part of his family. God, on behalf of your name, would you act again on our behalf? We thank you for this, that your name may be glorified. And we join you today, God, in what you're doing on the earth, that we would see your kingdom come that we would see your will be done. Would you do it in and through us, that we would see your name, your kingdom, your will, acted in such a way through our lives, that your name would be holy. In your name we pray, amen and amen.